Welcome to The Hope Project. On this podcast, we talk about matters of sex, sexuality, relationships, shame, and so much more. The goal of this podcast is always to bring hope to your sexuality and freedom from any unhealthy views you may have been taught growing up. And if you've enjoyed what this project is aspiring to do, then there are a couple ways you can support us. First, you can leave a review on the channel. This helps us stay relevant to the audiences we are trying to reach. Second, you can go to our Patreon and see how to support us financially. We are so grateful to all the people who have supported us and continue to support us on this project. This episode is a part of Season 2. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the trailer for Season 2, I recommend you do that now before listening to this episode. On today's episode, we have Dr. Matt Jensen joining us. This is going to be Part 1 of a two-part series on what it means to be fully single and fully sexual. Dr. Matt Jensen is a systematic theologian specializing in theological anthropology and ecclesiology. Having grown up in Southern California, Dr. Jensen holds a BA in literature and philosophy from Wheaton College and a PhD in systematic theology from the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. He has a lot to say on this topic, so I'm excited for you guys to hear both parts of this conversation. Let's dive on in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast today. Today, I'm sitting here with Dr. Matt Jensen, and we're going to talk about what it means to be fully sexual, fully single, and just how singleness relates to the church and Christianity and so many different things. So before we get into some of the, you know, serious, serious questions about singleness, Matt, can you just give us a little bit of your story, kind of where you're from, what was like growing up? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty much from Southern California. I don't really like Southern California that much, <laughs> but but I'm from here. Um, and, and when I'm other places, I realize how Californian I am. Uh, saying dude just is yep. just comes naturally. Yeah. Um, so uh, Surfer bro. Yeah. I mean, it's like, no, I'm not a surfer. I can't do that. And I'm incredibly pale. Uh, but I'm I can, very I can much attest from being in front of him. He is oh, yeah, it's true. relatively it's true. pale. That's true. You're not. I mean, your forearms are pretty nice. That's just because I walk outside a lot. <laughs> um, but thanks for the compliment on forums. Um, yeah, so I'm from Southern California. I grew up in San Diego. Um, I went to college. I went to UCLA for. I went to seven. I applied to seven colleges. Got rejected by five in the same day. And went to the other two in sequence. That, wait, hold on. <laughs> How do they get this back happens. to you that fast? That's devastating. Oh, no, 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 no. Not on the same day I applied, oh. but on the same day I got – that would have been incredible. <laughs> That's They're I'm like, like <laughs> we don't even need to look at your application. Yeah. This guy's You're a out. loser. Forget you. Yeah. No, I got five of those letters on the same day, and then Love I went it. to the other two schools. So I went to UCLA for a year and uh, then to Wheaton in Chicago um, and kind of bummed around. No, I didn't bum around. I went moved home uh, for a few years after that and was the flower delivery boy, secretary, kind of – uh, very earnestly praying and fasting and worrying about the perfect job and not finding mm-hmm. one. And, mm-hmm. um, but I eventually ended up uh, at grad school at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. Oh, sweet. Uh, and then uh, pastored for just a hot second in Kansas City in an mm-hmm. urban Nazarene church mm-hmm. and came out to Biola 13 years ago. So I've been back out here for about 13 years. What happened at the Nazarene Church? <laughs> oh, it was awesome, actually. No, I, I had moved out there because I had an old friend from high school. Um, I had just a little bit more time to do my grad work, and so, but I could do that from anywhere. I had an old friend from high school living in Kansas City with his wife and baby. Got and it. So I thought, I'll just move there. Yeah. Finished up uh, writing, and then all of a sudden they needed a pastor. And mm-hmm. so this, it was the coolest thing ever. It was a church of, tiny church, about 100 people. That's awesome. Um, and the two main uh, demographics were 
jaded seminary students. <laughs> uh, so like overeducated, yep. cynical, oh, like yep. this is this was their last stop on the way out of Nazarendom. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and then drug and alcohol addicts in recovery and homeless guys. Got it. Um, and so it was just, it was awesome because, yeah. you know, it was lots of smart folks, but also lots of folks who uh, demanded that the stuff we talked about actually made sense. Um, yeah. And I mean, it was, it was the best. Which is the perfect combination for like seminary students is to have people that it's just like, yeah, but like, how is this practical? Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Like quit your whining, you know, like, <laughs> Uh, yeah, and it was great. I mean, it was I I draw on it all the time. I think about it all the time. In fact, I almost didn't come to Biola because I was having so much fun. Yeah, um, being a pastor and, and yeah. living amongst. I always thought that pastors, um, is this right? Yeah, I think I used to think that pastors just couldn't have good friends in their church. Um, which well, I mean, that's a pretty common. That kind is, of yeah, thing. <laughs> that and, is pretty true. And I was like, I was. In my late 20s, like most of the rest of our church was, at least the, the mm-hmm. seminary student types, I was living in community with some of the guys from our church. Um, everyone, you know, they knew my ups and downs. They knew my dating woes. and They knew all that stuff. And then all of a sudden I was the pastor. Mm-hmm. And it just worked. You know, yeah. so like on Sundays, I'm, I, get a, I get the incredible privilege of telling good news to people in a way that you wouldn't in polite conversation because it would feel a little too churchy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also get to be myself during the rest of the week and mm-hmm. have these people transform from congregation to friends. And uh, so it's like you were an actual pastor, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sense, and an like, actual a biblical one, congregant at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was awesome. always was supposed to be until you know the modern modern megachurch movement. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, outside from church stuff, which I do want to come back to that because I have some questions about that um, just in your journey. Yeah. But um, before we get to that, uh, we're talking about singleness and sexuality and even what it means to be a single man but also a sexual man Mm -hmm. and like so what do we mean if i titled this podcast fully sexual and fully single what does that even mean because how is that even possible to be fully sexual if you're not married and having sex with your wife yeah that's i mean i mean i think honestly the first thing i'll say is i'm still i'm still kind of musing on that yeah um yeah, because it is it is certainly the case. I mean, I think it, in a funny way, I'd answer this the way I'd say the way I'd answer what it means to be a man, mm-hmm. and I'd say something like, "Yeah, if you if you have a certain um, certain certain reproductive components, <laughs> you're a dude." Yep. Um, if you have if if you are a human being, mm-hmm. you're a sexual just already. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I think that's actually the place to start that, that sexuality and, and I would say to masculinity and femininity that they're not primarily aspirational, but they're descriptive. Hmm. So I, I know that simply because I'm a human being, I'm sexual. Yeah. And in one sense, I'm already fully sexual, even if I haven't figured all out what that means. Yeah. Um, I think for, um, I think in terms of the, what it looks like to, live into and out of in a healthy and godly way what it means to be sexual i I think a lot of it has to do with acknowledgement um and stewardship um of those things so so acknowledgement on the one hand just just acknowledging Mm -hmm. that i'm a sexual being so that means i'm going to have desires that means i i I will get turned on that means that (laughs) that kind of whoa (laughs) go on chill bro there's kids listening to this (laughs) um that that means that that it will be natural for me to be drawn um, sexually to women mm-hmm. um, so that, that there will be all sorts of things in me that, that happen in a 
in a way that we often shame, but that are utterly natural for me. Mm-hmm. So that so the acknowledgement piece is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know what you know what I hate actually. Tell me. Um, this is a it's just a pet peeve. The whole kind of one look is okay, two looks, and it's. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that kind of a thing. How me and my boys describe it says, first look is free. <laughs> That's right. Second Dude, look's going to cost gonna you. It's going to cost you something. That's right. In the in the guilt department. Yeah. Now, I mean, lust lust is a thing. Like I, you know, I think I think the sort of rejection of purity movement, or I'm sorry, of the, of the purity culture has um, sadly too often gives up the thought that lust might not be sinful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a sinful thing. It's a real thing. It's um, like we swung, we swung way too far. Totally. Yeah. To- that. Totally overswinging. Um, and and I don't know in particular instances that we can e- even always tell when there's a lust, mm-hmm. but at the same time, a second look is what happens when something catches your eye. Mm-hmm. You know, so if I see, um, if I see something, someone doing something awesome on a skateboard, I'm going to look and then I'm going to look again because it caught my eye. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to want to look at it's it. It's the third look. That's right. The third look. I saw it once. I'm like, whoa, that caught my eye. I saw it a second time to <laughs> really figure out what it was, and then the, when I came back to it, that's that's when you're going to the pits yeah, of hell. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So now we've at least kind of pushed it back one. <laughs> so I'll just say... Now you get two looks at the beach and not just that's one. Right, that's right, that's right, that's <laughs> right. Know, I don't know what what it looks like, and, um, and, and certainly there's a lot to steward there, and I'll come back to that. Um, mm-hmm. But the thought that, um, that lust is any time that we actually are drawn to... Uh, to look at someone, I think that's that's just a recipe for misery, mm-hmm. um, and it's the kind of bar that that I think even Jesus doesn't set. And Jesus is is extreme um, when it comes to what we do with our eyes and our and our thoughts. There, yeah. Um, so I'd say, like, on the one hand, acknowledgement. Yeah, gosh, um, to be sexual means that you you are going to be drawn to people. Means you're going to find even your body responding to people mm-hmm. and, and wanting to do things with even people. unconsciously. Sometimes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Which is like, how could that, I mean, thinking in terms of just the lust debate, it's like, if I'm just unconsciously aroused, does that mean that I was lusting? Right. Right. And right. I don't, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. And, and the, and the, um, oh, I lost that thought while well, you'll edit that out. So there's nothing to edit. There was, yeah. there was no thought anyway. I'm not going to so. edit anything out. They're good. But <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely that. Um, so, and I think, I think for us to be, I think for, particularly for single people to live fully out of their sexuality, step one has got to be acknowledging the reality of it and, um, finding, finding the right ways through a long process of wisdom and discernment, um, to affirm what's good about our sexuality. Yeah. Our sexuality is fallen like all of us has fallen, but it's no more fallen than our reasoning capacities are mm-hmm. fallen that are willing capacities mm-hmm. and um you know yeah. it's th- this is all kind of fallen as stuff and so if we can affirm something about our reasoning capacities we should affirm something about our sexuality and my suspicion is that um we've got a long way to go to affirm some of the things and i think it takes discernment so mm-hmm. um well i would i never want to counsel people into sin i do think we need to counsel people to um have the space to make mistakes as they discern what it means to live wisely out of their sexuality if it's a if sexuality is the only area we sin and if those sins are you know the unforgivable sin Mm -hmm. um, then people aren't gonna have the space to learn to some extent by trial and error how to live wisely that doesn't mean go out and sleep with the the nearest person you can find but it does mean Mm -hmm. like this is a process of discernment and it's not as simple as just saying 
mm-hmm. the second look and you're guilty. Well, I, I think even the the idea that I'm viewing it as a mistake is huge because I mm-hmm. think that even that language because when we talk about sexual sin, it's the rose petal analogy, it's yeah, the yeah, sippy yeah. cut you spit into. It's always permanent mistakes yeah, yeah. when there's no other sin category that we view as that permanently. Like, yeah, oh, I made a mistake in some greed. I kept too much money back for myself this time. Oh, I ate way too much food and was constantly thinking about the next meal I was going to have at the buffet. And it's like, oh, that's a mistake. But that's not like now I'm permanently a glutton or I'm permanently greedy. It's just I acted with greed in that instance. So I have a mistake to kind of figure out what are my limits in greed? What are my limits with food? What are my limits with these things? But with sex, it's like, nah. (laughs) Like Once that happens once, you're done. And that's, I mean, theologically, it's a form of Pelagianism. It's mm -hmm. a a form of works righteousness that says... Mm -hmm. Yeah, we believe in grace in general, but in the area of sexuality, you're saved by your works. Mm-hmm. And and there might be some areas where you can you can screw up, but there are other areas where you can't. Mm-hmm. And if you really want to be saved, it means you can't have sex outside of marriage. And that's, and that's probably, I mean, rooted to give kind of some credence to the, the thought. It's probably rooted a little bit in how scripture talks about sexual sins are different kinds of sins because they're against yeah. the body. yeah. yeah. But I don't think we've thought enough about what that actually means compared yeah. to just like, oh, no, these are worse because <laughs> yeah. Paul yeah. makes it different. But different doesn't necessarily mean worse. It just means it like affects us differently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that's where some of it even comes from as well, where it's just like, well, Paul says these specific sins, sexual sins are different, which means they're worse, which means you're worse yeah. in, in reality. Yeah. 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 That's a good. Yeah. And the other thing I would say, so. We gotta acknowledge if if we want to live from a healthy sexuality, we have to acknowledge mm-hmm. our sexuality from the get go, and then we have to steward it. Yeah, um, uh, I've got a friend who said to a group of gay Christians who were mostly would be on the kind of what they call side B, mostly mm-hmm. think that what Scripture calls them to is celibacy um, or even marriage to someone of the opposite sex, mm-hmm. um, but that it, Scripture doesn't affirm same-sex sexual behavior mm-hmm. and, but when she said this thing and i wrote it down because it was so good for me to hear um but she said to them she said you're you don't know your sexuality isn't a roaring lion hmm. it's something that you get to steward mm-hmm. um and i thought that's exactly right that there are um i think for particularly for those of us who are prone to shame or to overemphasize issues with sexuality um the thought that that this is a part of our life that isn't this overpowering, roaring lion, but it's a part of our life, like all parts of our life, where God invites us to be good steward, good stewards of what he's made. I find that so relieving. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also so true. Yeah. Um, I and, and I need to know. I mean, I think p- part of a place where I get in trouble in my sexuality is that if I think of it as this independent entity that is that will eat me alive and that is stronger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think that's where the bad versions of purity culture can so often go that this is this, this thing that, that will overpower you. you. put it in a cage. Yeah. Like, because if you let it out for a second, it's going to devour you. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Paul says that if by the spirit <laughs> we put to death, the deeds of the body, we will live. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that verse just shot me through the, you know, through right between the eyes once. Mm-hmm. Cause I thought that is saying that those of us who have the spirit, which is all of those who've been united Christ, we have the resources to put to death the deeds of the body and to live. That, that is that we have the resources to steward all parts of our lives, including our sexuality, mm-hmm. and uh, give life to the things that honor God in them 
and mortify the things that don't honor him. Um, mm-hmm. But that there's some sense in which, um, because Jesus is Lord, we are Lord in a smaller sense uh, of our lives. And we can, we can actually choose in the power of the Spirit to say yes or mm-hmm. to say no to, th- to things. And that's just, I think that's just so much of a healthier yeah. uh, thing than to think about this thing. It's this, this big, overwhelming <clears throat> this big roaring lion, which yeah. I think yeah. in some ways that's true because culture right now has mm-hmm. made sex the most important thing. And yeah. if you don't experience sexual gratification, yeah. um, then you are worthless. Like yeah. you're not living a full human experience. And I think the church is like, oh, we don't buy that. But they actually did buy it and they just put it in the confines of marriage. Mm-hmm. So unless if you experience sexual activity within marriage, like you're not living a full life. Yeah. But then also any sexual activity outside of marriage is bad because it's a roaring lion. And so you're in a kind of a lose-lose if you're a Mm -hmm. single person because sexual activity is the most important thing you can ever have in your life because the pastor's telling you that he's having great sex with his wife and it's the greatest (laughs) thing ever. That's right. But then at the same time, his next phrase is that don't do it until you're married. Don't even be sexual. Uh, So well put. But at the same time, you are are a, a lion. You're an animal. Yeah, like so, you're an animal right. for sex. You can't. You can't do not it. do it, but yeah. you better not do it. <laughs> you can't. But it's awesome. It. You can't control yourself, but it's awesome. But also, it's terrible. But it's yeah. good. But you can't control yeah. it. Yeah. And so it it creates, I think, for single people especially, but I think married people as well, but especially for single people, this impossible life to live yeah. if you buy yeah. into that system. And so that's why we're talking about today. It's like, how do you embrace your sexuality, but also how do you embrace it as a good thing? So right. I guess right. a question to pose to you is. Okay, we acknowledge that just sexuality, sexual activity, sexual thoughts are probably just going to be a part of our human experience. It mm-hmm. means a part of being human. Right. But how do we embrace it as good when the narrative is either everything is good at all times, in mm-hmm. all places, in all mm-hmm. contexts, as long as there's consent? That's the kind of the more liberal view. As long right. as there's consent, it's good. As long as it's for pleasure, it's good right. and for you. Yeah. And then the other side is that it's all bad except for this one like little small component right. of marriage. Right. So how do you embrace it as good when we have two very different competing narratives? Cause I want to say the liberal yeah. side is good. Although they're saying they're condoning it and they're saying like have sex whenever it's all about you. I don't think that's good sex, oh, um, yeah, no. sexuality. So where's that kind of middle per se, where you can actually live that out as a, as a single Christian? Yeah. Well, I, and I mean, you're, you're already putting your finger on a lot of this, but you know, what, if, what if it's just good and, and non-essential? <laughs> You know, it's just good and non-essential. Like, like all sorts of things are good mm-hmm. and non-essential. I, I wonder how much of this ties into mm-hmm. um, this kind of weird spiritual FOMO uh, where we are so convinced that if there's anything good that we miss out on, our life won't be worth living. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, which is probably rooted, I mean, it's, it's ultimately rooted in sin um, and alienation, but it's, it's tied to things like consumerism too. Mm-hmm. And, um, but this thought that, there might be a thing that is really good in which I never participate, or at least um, in which uh, a a thing that's really good where the kind of chief central activity I don't participate in. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I may be fully sexual, but never have sexual intercourse. Mm -hmm. The thought that um, there's a good unessential thing and by not participating in it, I would be miserable. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's part of what Christians want to stand against. Yeah. there's a way now, this has to be done really carefully, but, but I think some of the best, um, though most often misused wisdom from the Christian tradition wants to say something like, um, 
wants to pick up pick up on Paul's language from Ephesians of of the union of man and woman um, being the sacramental pointer to the union of Christ and the mm-hmm. church, mm-hmm. and it kind of makes a whole program of that, mm-hmm. and um, and it's just absolutely central in mystical spirituality where sex is a particularly uh, potent pointer to our desire for God and to um, to our relationship with Christ. That that can get bad in the sense that it can make um, it can sort of overly objectify sex. It can sort of, I heard about this guy. Um, I think this is worth saying. I heard about a guy who wanted to do everything to the glory of God. And, and so um, he and his wife would have sex after church uh, every week and he would sing hymns. Um, and yeah, <laughs> think about that. He better have a good voice. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I, yeah. There's a lot of ways to go with that one. Um, very, very bad idea. Um, yeah. Sorry, yeah, bad execution of, of, a, <laughs> yeah. of a decent idea, which yeah. is doing everything to the glory of God. But but the confusion there was the thought that the only way to do something to the glory of God is by explicitly talking about God mm-hmm. or thinking about God. Mm-hmm. And of course, what that does is it it fails to glorify God because it ignores the woman in front of him that he's mm-hmm. he's called to love. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so real fast, yeah, I, have yeah. a, I have some friends that are like, yeah, we're like when we get married, we're just gonna we're only gonna be praying during our like having sex. And like, so like, I'm like, so you're going to be actively, I'm like, so you're going to be actively praying to God while there's a person in front of you. Like, yeah, Yeah. man, giving thanks for her. Like, okay. Like one, that seems a little objectified. (laughs) Like, Hey God, thanks for this wife. You're, you're putting near me right now. But at the same time, like, I don't know if you could say that that's sat like sacrificial love when you're Mm -hmm. so focused on communicating with God, Mm -hmm. you're not actually thinking what is the best suited way to give pleasure and intimacy mm, yeah, to my wife yeah, right now. Yeah, that's great. Because I'm so focused on like my own morality. I'm so focused on my own glory to Godness, my yeah. own piety even, yeah. that kind of I might be missing, you know, what you were yeah. just saying there, the person that's right in front of me. Yeah. And she's yeah. missing me because she's doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well it's sort of like a kid who um this sort sort of overly um responsible kid who gets probably an a, eldest child? Yeah, definitely an eldest child. A one like me. <laughs> He's a one on the Grim. Bless us. Who gets a Who gets a train at Christmas? Say they get a train at Christmas, and mm-hmm. um, their parents are watching as they unwrap it, and they're so excited for their kid to mm-hmm. to just revel in the train, mm-hmm. and uh, and the kid opens it, sees what it is on the package, stops opening it, and just goes over and fawns over their parents with gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean that's cute for a second or two, but pretty soon the parents are like, "Unless no, you're like, a narcissist, <laughs> like get, we we want to see you check out this." Like even yeah. the parents' impulse to say, "I what I really want, what would really make me happy is to watch this kid play with the train." Yeah. Um, well, true, is true gift but. giving is you want to see the person enjoy the gift you have given. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so there's some parents that give gifts or some spouses that give gifts because they just want the affirmation that I'm right. a good gift giver. But right. God, who's a true gift giver, He's giving you the gift so you can enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And to just like throw it away because like I'll get to that later, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I wonder if it's because, you know, <clears throat> we have some like platonic philosophy in the church where the body is bad mm-hmm. and we're taught the body's bad for so long that mm-hmm. the only way to make sex holy is one within marriage. But two, I have to pray. Yeah. Because if I'm not praying and blessing this, we'll slip back into like very bad yeah. body yeah. things. Yeah, that's good. No, I think, and I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. That, that is a, a way to sort of um, quarantine sexuality mm-hmm. is to say, 
you know, if I if I pray on either end of it, this thing will be okay. Um, <laughs> it's like which, blessing the meal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I think I think there probably yeah. is some truth to that. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, or not on the other hand, even with that, I do think that part of what sex is meant to do is meant to point point to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and while that can be done poorly. <clears throat> I think that's just got to be part of how a Christian, particularly a single person or, or someone who's just not able to have sex. So mm-hmm. there are tons of um, spouses who can't have sex because of disability, physical um, pain, even because of yeah physical pain, because of uh, impotence, because of uh, deployment, uh, people mm-hmm. who've been widowed, mm-hmm. people who've been abandoned, uh, people who live in such cramped quarters that they just they're they're really not yeah i mean this yeah, is the you thing can't about be intimate when you got your yeah you got lives. 14 yeah. people who live in a one-room house yeah. or something so there's all sorts of because you know part of the you know sex is awesome don't ever have it till you get married part of the problem there is the the uh the hopes that sets up for sex oh my gosh um and so i think part of part of so christians need to unequivocally affirm the goodness of sex mm-hmm we need to unequivocally affirm the non-essential character of sex. Yeah, and I think it's wise for us to also affirm the, um, the the very sort of gritty realities of sex. That it's compromised by sin, like everything. Again, we have to say like everything, mm-hmm. but also that it's just compromised by life, and that sex is not what romantic comedies promise us. It's not what <laughs> porn promises mm-hmm. or or romance novels promise us. Um, that is just not uh, yeah. what sex is about. Um, Which so that are, that's yeah. so good because that's kind of I think holding both intention mm-hmm. where we have the reality of like as again for those listening we are talking about singleness <laughs> even right, though we right. just went on <laughs> right, like right. a big discourse on sex but the reason we're talking about it is because we're showing this is a gift yeah but yeah. just like you know maybe not an exact one to one equivalent but thinking of the gift of prophecy the gift of tongues the gift of healing the gift of these different things no one would be like since i don't have the gift of tongues i am missing out fundamentally on the christian experience actually lots of people would say that. yeah <laughs> they're wrong <laughs> I, they're I'm wrong gonna, i'm talking to our non-charismatic friends um but let's, well, let's but i think we do that even with spiritual gifts oh yeah so in in, in one sense maybe that's helpful because uh-huh. it points points out the fact that part of our sin is the fact that we see something someone else has and we want it yep and you know, there are and if times, you don't have it, you're not living fully. Right. And, and there are times when my married friends see the time I have in my hands, the independence mm-hmm. I have, the lack of responsibilities in some ways, mm-hmm. and they want it. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are tons of times when I see them with a the family, them with a place to come home to at night, them mm-hmm. with help, um, them with companionship, them mm-hmm. with sex. And mm-hmm. I want that. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think we're going to get away from those mm-hmm. those longings. Yeah. Um, and that'll probably help, I think, single people, too, is to realize that part of what we feel we lack is sex. Mm-hmm. But that's a small – in fact, the older – I'm 43. Mm-hmm. The older I've gotten, the more I've thought, yeah, I mean, that's a <laughs> that's a bit player in, in, in terms of some of the other things, mm-hmm. um, in terms of just the uh, – just touch. Mm-hmm. Um just uh having someone whose job it is to know where you are and what you're doing Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. whose eye is on you who's attentive to you Mm -hmm. um that's a huge thing yeah um but for 20 year olds whose sex drive is maybe at a peak yeah it's like man if i don't (laughs) if i don't have sex then i'm nothing and they're often i think probably missing out on fostering 
what you're calling is like companionship, mm-hmm. fostering mm-hmm. like just touch, fostering communion, fostering like, hey, being in deep committed relationships. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I think it's since we get so consumed with missing out on sex, which is why I think Christians, you know, I read a book and I were interested in the other podcast, we're losing our virginity on, like on average at the age 17 and a half. Mm. And I don't think it's just because we're wild and crazy, although yeah. some of us are. It's just because we were taught and we bought into the belief that sex is the most important thing you can have. Mm. And within that marriage, and only marriage, is the most important relationship you can be in. Mm. Not mm-hmm. just a relationship that is good and beautiful and yeah. glorifying to God, but just one of a couple types of relationships. Yeah. That marriage is the only one that you can find true kind of companionship, true satisfaction, true fulfillment, and true like inner security yeah. of who I am. Because unless I'm married, I'm not as good of a man. I'm not as good as a human being. Like I'm either too ugly, <laughs> too mm, stupid, mm-hmm. too you know stubborn, too whatever. And the ones that got married, there's the ones that are like the the prime, you yeah. know, males yeah. and females, or they're, yeah. they're the best. Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, and we have to resist all of that stuff. Yeah, so much. I, you know, I I will. Um, I think I've become more aware of the the relative rarity of this. But let me say it anyways, and then talk about the rarity. Um, I have more and closer friendships than almost anyone I know, mm-hmm. um, and I can absolutely testify to the fact that being single and not having sex um, needn't be a profoundly lonely and undoable life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the big things that, that, that the church as a whole needs to show single people, um, needs to show straight single people also needs to show single people who are navigating their, uh, who are gay or lesbian navigating their sexuality and trying to figure mm-hmm. out what the heck to do with that. Mm-hmm. It's that a life without having sex is totally plausible mm-hmm. and it's not a life of misery. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and and for me, a huge part of it. You mentioned even before we started recording, uh, Jesus's transformation of family when he mm-hmm. says, "Who is my mother and my brothers? It's them who do the will of the Father." Mm-hmm. That passage in Mark undid me in college, mm-hmm. um, and I slowly started in some just real practical ways. And I've got great family. I've got a great biological family. Started to unpack like what would that mean for me? And it was like little things. Like it would be things like instead of immediately calling my mom or my dad if I was having a hard day, maybe I ask one of my friends nearby who's a believer to pray for me. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of leaned on them emotionally a little bit. Um, it meant uh, maybe I would invite friends into my discernment about things, about major decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, just y- real kind of practical kinds of things. Um, and I just cannot tell you like what a rich life of friendship mm-hmm. um, I've had. Now, I say that, and then I have to bring in the caveat that says, I think that's I think that's pretty rare. I don't think it's impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, but even some of the more, like, I've gotten to know Wes Hill, who I love really, really a lot. He's such a good dude. Um, he has special friendships. Um, and he has a number of incredibly committed folks in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't take it for granted. I don't think it's automatic that yeah. a, if a single person just you know, wants to have some friends and tries a little bit, they're going to have them. <laughs> um, there, there's a lot of things that go in it. There's Providence, there's existing networks, there's where you live. I mean, it helps that I live in LA. It helps that um, I, I teach at a college. And so instantly I had all these colleagues who were around my age and had similar things that they cared about. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I've also leaned into him. So uh, my friend Melissa Schubert, who is now my dean, so like my boss's boss's boss, um, but at the time was just a colleague. My first year out here, it was a Friday night. We had finished our kind of orientation for the week. And um, I realized like I didn't have anything to do and mm-hmm. because I didn't have any friends, which mm-hmm. of course not. I, you know, I just yeah, moved here. Place, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's still a little weird. Mm-hmm. And so I called Melissa up and she said, hello. And I said, hey, Melissa, this is Matt. I said, I don't have any friends. <laughs> <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? <laughs> and so I went over to her house. She met me on the porch. We just hung out and talked. I think we went and saw a movie or something. But, but you know, I was just, I just kind of went for it. And I have seen again and again friendship stoked by the laying bare of a need or a lack. Mm-hmm. Um, and in almost every case, it's been met by a gladness to to come towards me, and often enough, a need on the other person's part. Mm-hmm. Um, that's hard um, because you know maybe that person's got a family and they they look like they've got it all, and I look I don't like I don't mm-hmm. have any of it. So I have to kind of take the mm-hmm. take the first step to be willing to admit that lack. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been such I mean the kind of gifts I've received on the other end have been pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I just recently got a job offer from a church, um, and I'm like, man, I don't know how to accept this. And so I was in the same predicament. Mm-hmm. Do I call my family, mm-hmm. or do I, like, call up a friend? And uh, honestly, because I've been dwelling on that Mark passage, I was just, like, immediately I called, like, two of my friends. I woke mm-hmm. up at 7 a.m. to talk to one of mm-hmm. them because they had to go to work. And I'm just like, what do I do? And I felt like I didn't feel the need for, like, because a lot of times when, like, a big decision happens like that, you're like, man spouse to like mm. be able to share that cool. with to know but i was like i didn't feel that at all because mm. i was just like man i got my boys yeah, <laughs> like yeah and they were there and they were like gladly like wa- working with me mm. like talking through it and they're like we're here we're behind you like whatever you decide like we're with you mm. and it's like that kind of friendship i think is pretty much the only way in our current culture and climate you do make it through mm-hmm. not being married but i think at the yeah. same time like I don't know if some of my married friends have that kind of friendship oh, totally. outside of their spouse. Totally. I have, I have had and gotten to lead in so many of my friendships mm-hmm. with married folks mm-hmm. um, and, and have become a close friend to them because I've had the, I think the cool, the, mm, is it cool? It's a gift <laughs> and a curse for a single person is that we just, we feel the lack, Yep. you know? So, um, it's the whole, like, what am I going to do at these days? I love to be by myself in the evening, mm-hmm. but that is fairly recent. And before mm-hmm. that, it's like, if I'm home on a Friday night or a Saturday night and lonely, the only person solving that is me. Yeah. Cause chances are very low that someone's going to call, think about me and think, I wonder if he's lonely. Let me call him up. So like I've had a lead in that a ton. And I do think that single people are, I want married people to get better at mm-hmm. noticing the single people around them. Um, but you know, the, the reality is you don't notice things if they're not afflictions for you. Yeah. Um, and so I think we can't expect a ton on that on that front. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're just going to have to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it will end up being such a gift because if, if you're a married person and you've bought into the lie that your spouse will complete you <laughs> and you're in the midst of recognizing that he or Uh-oh. she doesn't, <laughs> then yeah. you need help. Yeah. You know, but you're also living in the institution that says everything is great. And mm-hmm. so... It, it takes a lot to resist that and to resist that lie without denigrating your spouse too. Mm-hmm. Um, without saying, Oh man, if she were a real, real wife, she wouldn't suck. Yes. Like that. Yes. A lot of my boys, uh, we just graduated college a few within all within the last few years. Mm-hmm. 
And so that's right around the time if you've been at a Christian university, you know, that's like ring by spring is when you get married. Mm-hmm. Um, and but like for us single ones, the ones who didn't get married, uh, for some of us, the thoughts like, man, I'm going to be alone because yeah, like yeah. they're going and getting married and moving in with their wife and the other guys are maybe moving to take a job in a different place. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm going to be alone. Yeah. And then the second thought is how long is this going to last? And that yeah. normally pushes some of them to like go on more dates to really put themselves out there romantically rather than like trying to foster friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, and what we're talking about here, like if you are side B non-affirming of LGBTQ relationships, whatever it is on that spectrum, I think this is one of the most beautiful things you can have mm-hmm. to offer them. Mm-hmm. Cause if you're telling them, Hey, you can't experience sexual activity with your genitals, yeah. but that doesn't mean that you don't have a full life available ahead of you. I think that's like a beautiful thing, regardless of where you land, even if you are affirming, like still to give that option of, hey, it's possible to actually really live like Jesus (laughs) because we forget like, hey, live like Jesus, live like Jesus, live like Jesus. Okay, well, he was a single man. What do we do that had no kids, no line to pass on to. He didn't have kids to raise up and, you know, see him have careers. Mm -hmm. Single Mm -hmm. dude with a bunch of other dudes who were probably, some of them were also single Mm -hmm. with some single women. Yeah. And Jesus lived the most full relationships. Like mm-hmm. no one would say that Jesus had bad friendships, well, other right. than maybe with Judas. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but like he, like we all, like I want friendships like the apostles and disciples had. I have friendships like Jesus had. Well, maybe we're actually pursuing the wrong ones then, um, mm-hmm. because Jesus's relationships and then Paul's relationships with like with like, Timothy and Barnabas and Silas and all these different people are not the ones that we're aspiring to in mm-hmm. our 20s because we're told if you don't get married you will never be fulfilled romantically. You can be fulfilled right. in your work and right. fulfilled in other ways, but romantically, relationally, and intimacy, impossible. Yeah. Absolutely impossible. Yeah. And that's a, and that's a like the thought of a life of loneliness is yes. I don't think people realize how much that would be asking. And so I mean, we we have to for a while I've thought that I mean there's a sense in which if if the church isn't willing to live as my family then i would rather they just shut up talking about (laughs) sexuality yes um i say that as a single person but i also would say that about the church's address to gays and lesbians if Mm -hmm. if the church is unwilling to actually step in and say we will be the family that you long for Mm -hmm. um who is the church to to say the other part I mean, yeah. there is a kind of a sense of, hey, you can't get married, but also we're scared of you, so we're not going to be your friend. Right. Like, that's right. what we're telling them. Right. Because we're, we're scared of the identity label. We're scared of the sin. Right. And so since those two, we're not really going to be that close to you, but at the same time, here is our prohibition against, like, you yeah. actually having yeah. intimacy. And then it's then then, the, then it's then you have to ask the question, is this church giving the gospel to single people? Mm-hmm. Um, even if they're telling them Jesus died for their sins, but if they're unwilling to show the truthfulness of that claim by living it out in their company. Um, there's a, there's a fundamental issue there. Yeah. Well, we've got to into the, the, the American family values, you know, mm-hmm. the suburb white fence, you know, have your wife or have your husband and have your kids. That is the dream. Yeah. And we've just tweaked it. The American dream a little bit and like added some Christian language into it. Well, it's, well, the Bible says be fruitful and multiply. Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs, a man who has found a wife has found a good thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like we take all these passages and we have built this m- like marital framework as this is the only way to be fully satisfied. Just as yeah. you talked about yeah. earlier, that Christ in the church, that's like a marriage. And so unless if you are married, you can't fully 
symbolize, you know, Jesus's relationship with the church. Mm-hmm. And so you're missing out on the, the biggest symbol um, for God relating to his people, mm-hmm. which is like, well, you, you know, the weird thing about that is yeah. it's, it's forgetting the fact that a symbol is just a symbol. The real cool <laughs> thing is to be the actual thing to be and, in church and single or married. We get yeah. to be part of this union with Jesus Christ. I thought God was using, you know, Paul was using, you know, Jesus in the church to encourage marriage, not to encourage. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We hope that Matt's words gave you a hope in your singleness and a hope in your sexuality beyond what you could have ever imagined. We hope that you can dive into this conversation, dive into these deep ideas, and come out with a fuller understanding about what it means to be fully sexual and fully single. As always, we want to acknowledge that this episode may have triggered you. It may have brought up old sexual abuse. It may have brought up old negative sexual behaviors and may have even stirred up old wounds with all of these things talk to someone you trust about it don't hold these things just to yourself bring people into your life and your sexuality and again if you could leave us a review or share this episode with someone you think it might impact this all greatly helps us do what we are trying to do on this podcast which is bring hope to those who are struggling with their sexuality who are struggling with their sexual lives who are struggling even the idea of what it means to be sexual. Okay, that's it from here, everyone. As always, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.